lines. Mm. Always make sure that you're establishing your relationships. You're always saying to people, what can I do for you? And never burn a bridge, no matter, even if people are wrong. Wrong things have happened to me. It doesn't matter. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups and seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And if you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and we are always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, Trevor uh, Thompson. And to give you a, a quick introduction to Trevor, so started his entrepreneurial journey at a, a young age, I think uh, uh, worked for, might have been high school, college, and you'll have to correct me where I'm wrong, worked for Ripley's Believe It or Not for a period of time, and uh, then moved over to uh, Guinness World Records and uh, did that and worked with their, those businesses, um, started up a couple side businesses that went or work, or work along with uh, the Guinness Book of World Records, and sold or bought and sold a few stores, tried it out on the, his own a few times, I think also did a flower store for a period of time um, did a haunted house uh, did a grand opening and then it didn't go as well as you'd wanted and retooled and uh, then uh, got into recruited over to iFly helped build up that uh, business iFly uh, sold to investors wanted to do something else and that's kind of where it uh, brings you back to where you're at today so hopefully with that much as a mostly accurate or hopefully all accurate introduction welcome on the podcast Trevor. Yeah, no, it was pretty good. I definitely have uh, one of the most unique backgrounds of anybody. <laughs> well, all right. Well, let's uh, go ahead and dive into it and chat a little bit about your journey. So I gave kind of that brief, quick run through of it, but let's take a bit of back in time into when you were a young entrepreneur and uh, just getting started on your journey. Yeah, you know, I started actually, I didn't even go way back. I mean, at age eight, you know, I had three paper roots and five lawns that I cut. So it was always very entrepreneurial. Um, my dad was a minister at the church and I actually used to pay people to take their, or they would pay me to take their slot to cut the church lawn. And, uh, I was always very ambitious and at the young age of 13, got my first job. And that was with Ripley's Believe It or Not up in Niagara Falls, Canada. And, uh, that was the start of, uh, me learning about real business and, uh, you know, what it took to do it. And you say you were 13 at the time? I was 13 years old. So I was just out of curiosity. Yeah. What did you do at Ripley's Believe It or Not at 13 years old? You know, so I started out, they put me, this is a really funny story, actually. They put me out in the street corner to hand out brochures and to promote the business. So young me, I ran out in the street corner and the first person said, how much is it? And I went, <laughs> you know, nobody told me. So I ran back in and said, how much is it? And I went out and they said, well, how much is it for kids? And they bought. Oh, Man, nobody told me. So I ran back in. So very early on, I realized that uh, training for new hires anywhere I've been was not very good. So I spent a lot of time. I actually bought their guidebook with my own money and sat in the maintenance room and read it on my lunch break. So I would know more about Robert Ripley. Um, okay. You know, just uh, from a very early age, I wanted to do well. I wanted to learn. And I saw... Unfortunately, I saw a lot of defects in businesses, which uh, when you're 13 or 14 or 15, they just think you're a smart aleck, but uh, <laughs> I was really trying hard to do a good job. It was important to me. So, so now one question now, it's a complete aside, nothing to do with your journey, but now that you raise it, I'm, I'm curious, what's the 30 second way that Ripley's from Ripley's Believe It or Not got started, given that you know his background? Yeah, so it's very interesting. So he just decided, 
to publish this book and it was believe it or not. So they started in the publishing business of books and then it just from there it grew and then they started having the museums and then they had the TV show and you know it was and, and it's obviously it's grown into be a very big brand um, and the idea of it was believe it or not. So nothing was actually completely factual um, but they presented it as if it was factual. Interesting. I had no idea. So there you go. I, I learned something. If nothing else, I learned something new today. So, so now you did Ripley's Believe It or Not. And then I think you from there transitioned over to Guinness Book of World Records. That's correct. Yeah. So they used the, the my boss actually from Ripley's moving down the street and opening up a Guinness World of Records, which is the opposite. Guinness is about proving it's true and setting a record. They have pretty strict guidelines. And to be honest, when it first happened, I wasn't, I wasn't planning to continue into the, you know, hospitality field. And then the, I actually, the first time in all of my life, the only time in all my life, I was fired um, from Ripley's. It was very, again, um, it was a manager that I knew more than they did. And I didn't, one thing I didn't know was how to bite my tongue and just be a good team player. So I definitely learned that lesson and walked down the street and said, hey, I'd, I'd like a job. And uh, they said, when can you start? And I said, you know, I haven't had a weekend off in about five years, which is pretty <laughs> strange for, a, you know, someone who's 18 years old to say, can I start Monday? And they said, that's fine. And quickly grew within that. I started as a shift supervisor, a couple of months went to assistant manager, and then the general manager within a couple of years. And then to make me feel important, they gave me a title of vice president, um, which was a little bit more control over the business. And uh, it was a very interesting business. And then the parent company of Guinness came along and they'd actually rebought the rights out from someone they'd sold it to. And they needed somebody to represent them in North America. So they'd offered me a full-time job. I didn't quite like all the parameters of it, but agreed for them to hire me part-time and convince the ownership that I worked with that, hey, listen, I'm making you a lot of money. I'm doing a good job. You don't have enough to keep me to the level I want to go. And they were very agreeable and said, you know, I could take this side gig as long as it didn't interfere with the numbers. Um, oh. About 40% of my pay was bonus related the way it was structured. So they had a pretty good hook to keep me behaving and making them money. Um, and so I actually was running one in the Empire State Building in New York City. And then we sold a couple of franchises in North America and uh, how I started my next journey is I was actually trying to open my own location of uh, Guinness World of Records. I started in Branson, Missouri, ended up trying to do it in Orlando, Florida. Um, but coincidentally enough, Ripley's bought the rights back to Guinness or bought the rights to Guinness and wouldn't give me the franchise, which is how all of a sudden I ended in the haunted house business. So I was 18 years with Guinness and you know, I managed their rights for a while. I had a consulting company that uh, did some other work. I actually opened up, the, sold the franchise in Hollywood, California. Um, mm -hmm. And I actually opened up a wax museum. They own the Hollywood Wax Museum. And I opened up a Hollywood Wax Museum for them in Branson, Missouri, and spent a couple of years basically being their, their representative as the owners. Hmm. And uh, now they're quite a big company and they've got about four or five throughout the United States. Um, they've grown to be quite a big company. And so I moved to Orlando, Florida, and all things opened a haunted house. 
So now one one question because I when 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 the between the haunted house I think there was a flower store between those two. Yeah, Is that right? so the flower store was pretty early on. So traveling in the U.S., I noticed everybody had flowers at Seven Elevens and convenience stores. So I thought, man, we really need to get this business in Canada going. So I started up with a friend who owned a flower shop, and typical startup business. We were underfunded. Uh, so basically it was a home equity loan. And then eventually I cashed in all my retirement to try to keep it afloat and going. And our first contract was for seven locations. Our next one was for 21 locations. And our next contract was for 830 locations. And within 18 months, we were up to 1900 locations. And our biggest vendor that was 1300 of those locations went bankrupt. And six months later paid us 10 cents on the dollar. Um, and being underfunded, we, we couldn't survive that. And it ended up going bankrupt and uh, got pretty messy for a little while there. No, and I, and, you know, and that's always hard and in, in, in that may get be your biggest business mistake. We'll have to wait or see what, if there's another one or if that's the one, but it's always hard when you have, you know, kind of a bit of all your eggs in one basket or a lot of your eggs in one basket, um, you know, in that sense, then you're saying that, oh, you know, if this, if the one business goes under, it can make it really hard to stay afloat. And, you know, when you kind of tight tag to that. So, you know, yes. although I always wondered as another complete aside, you know, if you're not supposed to have all your eggs in one basket, then are you supposed to have like one egg at each basket carry around a whole bunch of baskets? So someday yeah. I'll have to figure out the origin of that, uh, that saying, but the, the, the holds true to form. So, so you did the flower shop for a period of time. Now, now, one question, you know, the going from Guinness Book of, or Guinness Book, Ripley's Believe It or Not, to Guinness Book of World Records, you know, that's kind of seems like a natural transition. Um, you know, they're kind of in the same industry. But when you get into the flower, and then we'll talk a little bit about the haunted house, and at least those ones kind of all, but how did it was a flower shop? It seems like a, a fairly different industry. So, what made you say, oh, I'm going to go from, you know, Ripley's Believe It or Not, Guinness Book of Worlds to a flower shop? You know, how did you yeah. decide on a flower shop? You know, I mean, yeah. I get you get a touched on it, but maybe give us a little bit of an idea there yeah i mean it was strange i just i, I was traveled a lot in the u.s uh, for some of the things that i did and i always saw these flowers at the at, at the stores and flowers i don't know if anybody knows but they got a massive markup so like you can buy a rose for 25 cents and sell it for 2.99 um so mm-hmm. it's a pretty big massive markup so i had a friend who owned a flower shop so i just talked to him and we started a company 50 50 and you know, we, our plan was to put these fresh cut flowers into convenience stores um, and you know, try to capitalize on year round. And then the big one was to capitalize on holidays. Um, we, after we started the business, we found out something very unique. So they passed a law stopping everybody at street corners from selling flowers. So they were everywhere. And they actually passed the law and we found a way around the law that what we did was we were representatives of the location. So the location, mm-hmm. 7-Eleven could put flowers outside, but I couldn't put flowers outside. So we would sell the flowers to 7-Eleven for basically their cut plus 10% uh, on top of it. And we had corner store, you know, selling flowers. Uh, uh, one point for, I had uh, my entire house, I lived in a 2,300 square foot house and just about every square inch had uh, had mums in it for Mother's Day, <laughs> um, just because we had we had no warehouses to store it. It was really hilarious the things you do to try to be creative, think out of the box. Um, you know, we could make as much money on a Mother's Day as we could six months just in the store locations. Hmm, that's interesting. 
No, so so now you do the so you did that flowers and you know do the flower business. And I like how you figured out a way around it, and it probably gave you a competitive advantage because most people can't or weren't able to do that. And so you do that for a period of time, and then you know it sounds like the business as a big distributor kind of um, or the big client uh, went down. You kind of went down with them. So yeah. how did you decide? Okay, now I've done flowers for a while. I'm gonna one and one sense you're bringing people joy and making them happy, and now I'm gonna go scare the living daylights out of them. How did you get into the um, the haunted house business. Yeah, so it was interesting. So when I was first started to look in Branson, Missouri, just because I had connections there um, to put some business there and that didn't work, but found a bunch of people that wanted to invest in Florida, in Orlando. And my the landlord that I negotiated the land lease with, um, he had another vacant piece of property. And he kept saying, you know, I really want to get into this entertainment business. What would you put here? And, you know, we just sort of brainstormed. And at one point we said, you know, we would put a haunted house in there. And, uh, you know, and he went, you know, that's a great idea. So we drew it up. Um, If anybody's ever been to Orlando years ago and they saw a big haunted castle called Skull Kingdom, we used to shoot big propane blasts off the roof, like 30 feet in the air, trying to get attention. You could see it from I-4. You know, we thought we were, we we really knew what we were doing, but uh, in Fortunately, we didn't quite know what we were doing. So um, grand opening day, um, the flow of the attraction didn't work. And we actually had to shut down during our grand opening. Um, mm. Might have known better to do it on Friday the 13th at uh, 1313 hours when we opened. Uh, mm. So, and we actually brought in Kane Harder from Friday the 13th, the actual actor, um, mm. brought him in for the event, uh, tried to really do it up big. But unfortunately, it was it was pretty embarrassing that it didn't work. But uh, mm-hmm. within a week, we were open again. And unfortunately, that business struggled. But as a land deal, my partner, he ended up making some pretty good money on the land he owned. Um, so we managed to tear it down and sell the land. Hmm. No, that makes sense. And, you know, and hey, if the land is, is because more valuable than the business, you're saying it doesn't make sense to keep the business open anymore. Yeah. And so you shut it down. So is that, you know, but it sounds like it would have been an awesome one. That would have been cool to see all, you know, the the big propane and, and the fire and the Friday the 13th and doing all of that. So now as you're kind of shutting down that one and saying, okay, you know, we learned some lessons, we had some success, and now we're having to retool, we retool things. How did you then get uh, into kind of the, I think what was I fly and, and starting to yeah, work there and, and do that for, uh, for a period of time? Yeah. So one big lesson here is all of your life just goes in circles. So <laughs> I, Sky Venture was originally called and they rebranded to iFly. They were mm. looking for somebody that knew about attractions. So we owned the indoor skydiving, plus they owned the world's tallest sky coaster, which he invented in Kissimmee, Florida. And they were looking for somebody who could run multiple attractions. And oddly enough, they hired a headhunter recruiter and he started calling around and he reached somebody who worked at Ripley's, believe it or not, who I'd actually reached out to saying, hey, the things aren't working out so good. Do you think I can get a job back with you guys? And their answer is really funny that I was too entrepreneurial to fit in their corporate structure. Interesting. But they referred me to the headhunter. Um, so, you know, so even though it wasn't the right fit at the right time with the right company, they referred me to the headhunter. Um, I interviewed, um, managed to get the job. And, you know, I was 20 and a half years with iFlander Skydiving. We grew from the one location in Orlando, Florida to 80 locations. 
and I would probably still be there doing what I want to do, but uh, it's a it's a very high touch activity in a small space and uh, not very COVID friendly, even though it's very safe in people's mm -hmm. mind, it's just not something they want to be doing. And so they had to retool themselves and decided that they needed to cut back until, until things go back a little more to normal. Well, no, and I, and I definitely get that. And that one is a, a hard thing that a lot of businesses are, are hitting is, you know, we got, all of these things that are hitting us and how to retool and how do we adjust and if the, not a lot of people are going out or doing anything with us you know how do we adjust to that so you know definitely makes sense for the the cause of the transition yeah. there so now you're saying okay we've done you know grew i you know worked with ifly was there along the ride building it up building the business you know it, it, it continued to retool and then i think you got a bit into kind of real estate and passive investing yeah. or, or so working I with others passive investing yeah, so I'd always been interested in real estate. And oddly enough, the original owner of iFly, when I first started, he gave all the team members Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Mm -hmm. And I read it, I believed it, but I was so busy what I'm going to refer living someone else's dreams. Uh, they were my dreams too. We were building the company that I didn't think about investing in the real estate yet. So it was, you know, in the back of my mind, I always wanted to do it. And then about at year 16, we got bought out by a private equity company. So it released uh, some cash. I was able to get some cash out of the business for doing that. And I decided to start passively investing. And my goal was uh, always to be an active real estate investor. Um, I just wasn't sure the what. And so I started the passive. And then when, when it happened in that dreadful day where I got the phone call, um, you know, and I could see it coming and, you know, I loved everybody I worked with. I love the company. I still love them. I'm still friends with all of them. And, uh, you know, I understand business is business. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that I needed to give now doing my real estate investing a full-time shot. Um, it's still a little rough coming out of COVID, you know, they just extended the eviction moratoriums again. So, mm. uh, but I'm not giving up. And, and my goal is to be a, a multifamily apartment syndicator. So I've passively invested in nine deals and I'm looking for my first active deal right now. Oh, cool. Well, sounds like uh, certainly a, a, a wide journey in a lot of different places. And now uh, go, are going to go and uh, follow in the, in the footsteps of a uh, rich dad, poor dad. So I love it. So, yeah, well, as we wrap up, I always have two questions at the end of each podcast. We'll go ahead and jump to those now. So the first yeah. question I always ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? And what did you learn from it? You know, so, so the worst business decision would have been getting into the flower business. And then when we got in trouble, I stuck my head in the sand instead of really trying to figure out where we were. You know, I, I think I could have done a better thing job of figuring it out ahead of time and then by the time I figured out where we were it was too big of a mess and there was no stopping it from from having to file for bankruptcy again not our fault but maybe I would have slowed down the expansion you know you sort of get caught up and uh, you know we had a lot of in one one company we had a lot um, mm -hmm. and you know it was even hurting us to keep up with what they wanted us to do um, so sometimes, you know, just being a little more cautious, I might've learned something. 
No, and that definitely makes sense. You know, and it's easy to sometimes stick your head in the sand, you know, sometimes saying, oh, it's worked this way forever. Why change? Or, oh, it's just going to take a little more time or a little more money, or we just need a little bit of luck. And sometimes that's true. And it just takes a little bit more perseverance. But sometimes you stick your head in the sand and you're not willing to see where things are at and where they're headed. And it can be detrimental to the business. Yeah. So I definitely kind of, you know, you have to be careful on both sides of that. So now uh, jump into the second question I always ask, which is if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? You know, so the one piece of advice that I would give everybody is that you need to be sure that relationships are the most important thing that you have in your, in any of your business. If you think through my little path, right? I Ripley's uh, went, followed my manager to Guinness. You know, I had a good relationship with my owners and they were actually the people I was working for were my partners. They actually agreed to be in a partnership with me to go do the Guinness. Um, when I went bankrupt, you know, I came to the company and explained what had happened to me. Oddly enough, uh, they own an accounting firm. They became my trustee and uh, they really looked out for me. Um, you know, one of my best friends who I had a relationship with, you know, he called me up and said, hey, whatever you need, you know, because you can lose, you know, I was going to lose my half of the house, not my wife's because in Canada they could take it. And, you know, all these people stepped up and then even with the Ripley's, you know, they said I was too entrepreneurial and I could have said, you know, you guys are ridiculous. But in the end of the day, they referred me to my next. Right. So it's mm. always make sure that you're establishing your relationships. You're always saying to people, what can I do for you and never burn a bridge, no matter even if people are wrong, wrong things have happened to me. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, establish those relationships because you never, ever know when it's going to come back and it's going to be the thing that saves you. And I mean, getting an iFly saved me, um, mm. you know, and, and somebody who I could have said, you know, you guys are jerks for not hiring me. And I didn't, I thanked them for their time and said, if things change, give me a call. And I'm still friends actually with that guy, <laughs> you know, 27 years later, we probably talk like once a year, it's not a big thing, but uh, you know, um, just make sure you, you really nurture your relationships with people and ask first what you can do for them, not what they can do for you. No, and I like, and out of the takeaway, I always think that, you know, there's always a, a part of, I think almost everybody that, you know, I, it just really feel good to tell them off and to burn that bridge and just, you know, make your statement. And, you know, sometimes you, you slip and you do it because, you know, it's hard to always bite your tongue, but I think to the absolutely degree you can, it's never worthwhile to burn the bridge. Even if they did it, they were in the wrong, if they did something wrong, if you didn't do anything wrong, or you just walk around and they were an absolute jerk to you, anything else, because you never know where relationships go. You never know what's going to happen. And the person that, you know, they may have been in the wrong, they may realize it later on, or you may cross paths and you never know how it's going to happen. And a burn bridge, you really is very hard to ever overcome. And then if you're always a bigger person and uh, don't burn that bridge, no matter yeah. what the circumstances, it, it provides a lot better opportunities a lot of times. So I, I like that as a takeaway. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you've ever read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he talks about filling up your emotional bank account, gets filled up one drip at a time. And then when you kick the bucket over, it's all gone. <laughs> yep. No, I, I definitely agree with that. So, well, as we wrap up is um, if people want to reach out to you, they want to know or learn more about you, your, all your various careers, they want to be a investor along with you with their real estate. They want to um, pitch you with a new idea. They want to know, uh, learn more about iFly. They want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above. What's the best way to reach out, contact you or find out more? 
you know, LinkedIn is the best um, just because it's easy, you know, just connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, it's just K Trevor Thompson. Um, you'll see me there. Um, it says real estate investor, passionate entrepreneur, and, and uh, you know, 10X learner. So um, just reach out on me there. Just tell me you heard me here, um, you know, and happy to talk to anybody. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to reach out. There's a lot of wealth of knowledge, a lot of a uh, lot of opportunities, and it's definitely someone to keep in contact with. Well, thank you again. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure, and appreciate having having you on. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to come on the podcast and share your journey, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the show. Also, a couple more things as listeners: one, um, click subscribe in your podcast player so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out, and two, leave us a review so new people can find out about us as well last but not least if you ever need help with patents trademarks or anything else just go to strategymeeting.com we're always here to help thanks again trevor and i wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last awesome thanks Devin. it was nice to meet you good Absolutely. luck